The best practice for dealing with fraud is to prevent it from ever happening. This is Forensically Speaking, where host Jonathan Marks will help you understand the forensic side of compliance so you can move from detection to prevention in your compliance program. Here's your host, Jonathan Marks. Hello and welcome to Forensically Speaking. My name is Jonathan Marks and today's topic is tone and conduct from the top. Tone and conduct from the top is a phrase used today in professional literature to refer to the most important element for promoting honesty in a company as well as the integrity of its internal financial controls and its internal controls in general, I should say. The board of directors is at the top of the corporate hierarchy, as we all know, and should, in concert with the CEO and others, set the tone and conduct for corporate behavior generally and for corporate governance in particular. The most significant themes of Sarbanes-Oxley and governance reform generally talk about independence of directors and auditors, ethical corporate behavior, transparency and truthfulness of corporate disclosure, and accountability of officers and directors to the investing public. These are critical areas for the board's attention. So let's talk about some trends. For a long, long time, we talked about tone at, or as I like to say, tone from the top. And recently, with regards to a lot of the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act matters and the like, the term conduct at the top is also reared out, and now it's become the standard. So it's tone and conduct from the top. But let's talk about some trends. Corporate greed at the executive level continues and has destroyed hundreds of public companies, as well as privately held companies, as well as not-for-profit organizations. It's drained stockholders of their investments and left innocent employees without work. When we talk about the things that happened in the past that are now sort of fading into the sunset, but should be good reminders, we talk about Ken Lay, Skilling, Fastow from Enron, Kozlowski from Tyco, Scrushy from Health South, as well as former executives and other corporations. These folks have become household names and are often linked to what is wrong with corporate America. But again, a lot of those traits that are in those individuals are also things that have made some very, very successful. So there is sort of a balancing act here as what keeps somebody ethical as compared to what allows them to cross over the line. Unfortunately, these individuals represent only a small percentage of the executives who have abused their positions of power to commit corporate fraud. Many, many CEOs of public companies have been sued over the past 10 years for committing so-called white-collar crimes. These executive criminals were sending a clear, though perhaps unintentional, message to their employees that committing fraud is acceptable as long as it makes the company seem profitable. That's clearly not the case. Obviously, they were setting the wrong tone and displaying the wrong conduct at the top. The link between the tone and conduct at the top and conduct at the top of an organization and fraud in the organization has become an important aspect of job-based responsibilities for senior executives at publicly traded companies and other companies as well who are trying to implement a better practice than what they currently have. At the same time, there are no bright lines in the regulatory rules or accounting standards that define exactly what the tone at the top or conduct at the top should be. We all have a pretty good idea by what we read, but there's nothing very clear there. There's not a prescribed list of rules. We all know what can be done. We've all seen what can be done. We know what makes companies successful, but what works for one does not necessarily work for another. And there really isn't a prescribed set of rules that define what tone and conduct from the top are or what makes an organization successful. The faltering failures in the past 
of some of the biggest names in the financial world remind us once again of the levels of greed that exist in corporate America. Those same things exist today as well. Chasing profits, these executives and these companies took on some might call excessive risks and disregarded warning signs. Employees were witness to the lax tone and conduct set by the executives and senior leadership, many interpreting the tone and conduct as corporate approval to take on more risks or even to cross the line on fraud. As long as somebody can link it to higher profits or better success of the organization. Everybody loves great news but and loves to deliver great news, but people have a really tough time delivering bad news. And let's face it, you can't be perfect all the time. History tells us that during economic booms, the media and public are less concerned with business risks, controls, and ethics. However, in times of crisis and when the economy is struggling and confidence wanes, public attention turns towards protecting finances and assigning blame. So it's sort of a little bit of a cycle here, right? Businesses today are under intense scrutiny as policy wonks and leaders piece together what went wrong and a game plan to move forward to steadier ground. Now we're talking about sort of easing some of those controls that we put in place over the years, which is kind of interesting, but we'll see what happens. So investors, regulators, and agencies in the public are calling for, when these things happen, stricter measures to promote corporate integrity, which leads to tighter accounting and auditing standards, more regulation, and an increased focus on ethical financial practices, which will likely follow. I'm not so sure. It almost seems like we tend to go back to the same practices and principles we once had at least a little bit when things get get going or things start to change around. I think that's something that as a senior leader of an organization, we need to be mindful of and make sure that we don't slip back. For example, doing a fraud risk assessment and following up on that fraud risk assessment is something that I think is extremely important. Understanding the culture is also something I think is extremely important. However, you know, when a company's doing really well, You might say, well, we really might not need that right now. Well, guess what? I think you really do because it's when you force yourself into the mindset of you have this perfect place, which I call perfect place syndrome, is when all the hard work and effort that you put in in order to getting the company in a condition and position whereby you might have changed the culture of the organization to be more control-focused and more mindful of ethical breakdowns, you could wipe that out in an instant. So let's talk about some gaps. There are some gaps here. I wanted to talk about those. One is the control environment. That is the overall attitude, awareness, and actions of the directors and management regarding internal controls and the internal control system and the importance to the organization. This is key to setting the right tone and conduct of the organization because it influences the control consciousness of its people. It truly does. People look up. And they look up to see what is being said and what is being done. Factors that contribute to the control environment include integrity and ethical values communicated by executive management in speaking and writing and demonstrated by action, responses to incentives and temptations, clear policies and actions that prohibit the acceptance of inappropriate gifts, for example, moral guidance as communicated through a code of business conduct and ethics. The code of business conduct and ethics is something that, again, I think most overlook, but really is the cornerstone behind of a lot of what we're talking about here. A commitment to competence, a demonstrated by robust human resource policies and clear job descriptions for the purpose of hiring and retaining qualified people. A commitment to competence really means we're not taking shortcuts. We're not hiring people that don't fit within our organization. It's very, very easy to do. Board of directors and audit committees that are engaged, ask questions, and take appropriate actions. They don't let things happen. They practice 
good oversight. They ask the tough questions. They are concerned about asymmetrical data, things of that nature. So having an active board and a good audit committee is really tantamount to having a tight organization. A management philosophy and operating style that place high value on risk assessment and internal control. And more importantly, it encourages a speak-up environment. See something, say something is sort of one of those things that we all hear over and over and over again. But if people feel that what they're going to say is going to fall on deaf ears, they might not say anything at all. Well-defined organizational structures that is appropriate for company size and complexity. So in other words, people know what their roles and responsibilities are. They know what their reporting channels are. They know what the communication protocols are. I mean, that's really, really important. Sort of a takeoff to that is appropriate assignments and authority and responsibility. Again, well-defined duties that are appropriately segregated to prevent and detect errors or, in a worst case, fraud. Human resources, recruiting, and retention policies and practices to ensure that human capital is valued. I talked about that before, but that's really, really important. And ways to settle internal differences, okay, such as a forum or an ombudsman to discuss and settle differences of opinion between management and employees, things of that nature. Having this openness with regards to coming forward and talking about issues, you know, this see something, say something, it goes way beyond that. In any organization, the buck stops with the chief executive. Literally, he or she has ultimate responsibility for the internal control system. A positive control environment is, in my opinion, a big part of maintaining effective internal controls. More than any other individual group or function in the organization, the chief executive sets the tone and conduct at the top. The chief executive sets the tone and conduct at the top that affects factors related to the control environment and other components of internal controls. Those are some of the things that when I'm talking about setting the proper tone and conduct from the top really are about. Now, let's talk about some of the challenges and then solutions and maybe some actions, and then we'll wrap it up for today. So some of the challenge, it is really crucial to a company's success for executives and management to set an example of ethical behavior on the job. When those in top positions set the wrong example by cutting corners or committing fraud, their employees are likely to follow in their boss's fraudulent footsteps, creating an entire organizational culture of fraud. The other thing that I like to talk about is the ABC theory of fraud, bad apple, bad bunch, bad crop. You have one bad apple, you create a bad bunch, the next thing you know, I have a bad crop. And those apples get sometimes dispersed throughout the organization. So you think you may have an isolated incident, but more often than not, we find that those teachings manifest themselves in other parts of the organization and those bad habits follow along. When executives put pressure on employees to meet unrealistic goals for the company employees, they're often faced with a choice, you know, doing whatever it takes, improper or not, to achieve those goals or taking action that they know won't result in the bottom line their bosses are looking for. To employees faced with these choices, the end might seem to justify the means finance Personnel under pressure to attain a certain profit margin might falsify estimated balances to enhance the results. Salespeople under pressure to increase sales might use unethical tactics, such as misleading customers, changing contract terms, or recording fictitious transactions in order to do so, or actually bribing or giving kickbacks to some in order to achieve whatever result that they're looking for. It's really tough when you have these things in place, when you have these pressures put on individuals to constantly be achieving. Again, we live in a world where failure is not an option. So, 
you have to realize that and you have to look at those pressure points within the organization. So now let's talk about maybe some solutions. I've talked to many people and some believe the only way to correct issues related to the tone and conduct at the top is to make personnel changes. Such measures may sometimes be warranted, but I might believe that education, such as frequent communication or even formal classroom training could be a remedy as well. Not in all cases, but in some, and in fact, might accelerate the general adoption of a more ethical corporate culture in an organization. The other thing I like to talk about is communicating with words and actions. And what I mean by that is to reduce the risk of fraud and establish and sustain the right tone. It's really important that senior management positions themselves to communicate to employees what is expected of them, lead by example, and provide a safe mechanism for reporting violations and rewarding integrity. And then communicating with actions, talking about ethics would be useless if employees do not see management demonstrating a commitment to those principles. The commitment of management to its ethics policy is not credible unless management walk the walk as well as talk the talk. So that's where we talk about the paradigm shift from just tone from the top to tone and conduct from the top, walking the walk as well as talking the talk. Employees need to believe that organizational values, the reporting of ethical violations are important. This message must be communicated consistently and reinforced through actions. If a whistleblower is not protected by management, violations like it will never be reported again. In addition, when violations are reported, a couple of different things. Number one is they should be thoroughly investigated. You should have an allegation triage process and these tips or violations should be thoroughly investigated. Violators should be punished consistently with policy, whatever that policy might be. In some instances, it's termination. In some instances, it's termination and prosecution. But you should follow through. Related control breakdown should be evaluated and improved. Doing root cause analysis, finding that one domino that fell, doing remediation, constantly tweaking and modifying your compliance program. Those things are important. If no action is warranted, the results of the investigation should be reported back to the individual who originally reported the violation. Actually, It's not only if no action is warranted, it's the action and steps taken should really be reported back to that individual. Again, you know, with the mindset of not retaliating against that individual, because we all know, and I'm not talking about that today, but retaliation is something that's very dangerous. Leadership from the top of the organization is essential to maintain rigorous internal control and make progress on fraud prevention. A growing number of organizations are formalizing their anti-fraud programs, but a lot still don't have one. I have many, many, many opportunities today to help organizations build their anti-fraud programs. It's just amazing to me that some just don't have these, but it takes that right mindset. So that is really important. All the activities that we talked about when supported by the board and performed conscientiously set the right tone and conduct from the top and help to reduce risk, including the risk of fraud. Only by setting the bar high will an ethical corporate culture be sustained. That's a whole mouthful of stuff that we've gone through today on Forensically Speaking, but I think it's important. I think it's important to understand that it's not only setting the right tone, but it's also listening to what the organization is telling you and taking the right actions, whatever they might be. Maybe your policies are not as effective as they could be. Maybe your code of conduct is something that needs to be dusted off and recommunicated back to the entire ecosystem. Those types of things are really, really important. And having this set it and forget it mentality 
doesn't 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 really work today. If you think that after working so hard to build a compliance program or get the company in a position and condition where they do understand how important controls are, they do understand how important monitoring is and communicating and being transparent and all those elements that make up a good governance framework are, they could be lost in a microsecond if, in fact, you take your foot off the gas and allow something to sneak by. It only takes a second for a company to ruin its entire reputation. It takes a long, long time to build it up. My name's Jonathan Marks, and this is Forensically Speaking. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Forensically Speaking podcast. Make sure to subscribe and help us spread the word by leaving a review. 